Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think what I really love about property and what sold it for me was tangibility of it. I think what I always wanted to do as a, a doctor was that, you know, you're helping people, you can see the outcomes of it. For property, it's the same. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Matt Koo, the Managing Director of ICD Property. You'll hear how he fell into property and development despite having dreams to be a doctor, how he developed his skills as a financier and how he has been involved in multi-million dollar projects across Australia and much, much more. We find out what Matt Koo's day-to-day role is as well as the projects he's currently working on. I'm the Managing Director at ICD Property. Um, we're an Australian-based property development company. Um, I say Australian-based but we, we have um, projects across uh, four states in Australia. Actually, I should read, correct myself, there's three states in Australia and um, actually, I was thinking of four projects, we've got one in Geelong. It's not a different state unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I shouldn't say that either. It's very close and very easy to access. Um, but yeah, so we've got uh, we've got uh, four projects across three states in Australia, and also a project in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, our projects uh, comprise largely um, mixed-use projects, um, three of which are CBD projects um, in Melbourne, Sydney, and Adelaide. Uh, in Melbourne, we've got a uh, close to 600 apartment tower going up on King Street. In, in Melbourne CBD, and that's just starting construction now. Uh, we have a, a Sydney project, which is a, a land joint venture with the City Tattersalls Club. It's a 125-year-old, um, uh, um, 125-year-old Tattersalls Club. Um, you know, big part of the community there, um, and a really centralised uh, project it sits on. Pitt Street near Pitt Street Mall. Um, you're from Sydney, so you understand pretty well. <laughs> um, and you know, it's really exciting. We've, we've achieved our stage one DA on that project, which sees us um, redeveloping the the City Tassels Club, the commercial space at sort of the uh, first few levels, and uh, within the heritage frame um, fabric as well. And then above that, developing a boutique hotel. Um, and then above that, a residential tower. So really exciting project. Um, actually just commenced our design competition phase um, as of last week. So 
uh, we'll soon have a, um, you know, a, 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 um, we'll soon have an architect assigned to it as well for the tower. Due to the DA process being time-consuming and difficult in Sydney, Ku explains the process to talk for this particular project. I think um, my celebrations when we get got a stage one DA probably says it all. Um, we've had the project since 2014. And it's gone through a number of challenges and hurdles. Um, we we actually uh, were knocked back in our first attempt uh, to get the stage one DA, um, and then worked really closely with council to um, to finally get there. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a quick process. Yes, I think I totally understand. <laughs> Nothing's quick with council any day, <laughs> any council even to say the least. Interestingly, during this um, challenging time with COVID and all, um, they've looked at uh, how they can actually expedite processes and, and, and streamline. Um, and we've seen, we've benefited from a bit of that already, um, especially through this stage two process, usually required physical models and all that, which aren't very practical in <laughs> um, the circumstances. So that's been able to shorten a bit of the time frame. And hopefully, you know, you know there's other areas which are, are questioned and challenged and, uh, and, and especially because we're wanting to build or bring a lot of stimulus to the economy. Um, the construction industry and development industry is a big part of that. We're talking like 9%, 10% of GDP just directly through work sites. And then... You know, when you look at the flow on to other consultants and material suppliers and all that, you're, you're looking at more like a, an impact of 40% of, uh, you know, the economy. And, and that's with, you know, um, looking at sort of mining materials, uh, material suppliers, uh, developers, agents. You know, There's it a really wide-spanning sort of impact. delves into what a typical day in his life looks like. In my particular role, um, a lot of my focus is around business strategy, which is definitely ramping up a lot more um, as the, the, the climate and the uncertainty into the near and, and medium-term future. Um, but it's also supporting um, you know, with the large challenges for our delivery team. So um, in terms of uh, assisting our development team, with identifying big problems and challenges and hurdles, um, but also problem solving with them. Um, never like to take that autonomy and, and, and management of that away from them, but being really sort of a sounding board um, in, 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 um, in dealing with those challenges. And we do that sort of as a leadership director um, group with our developer, uh, development teams. Um, at least on a on a uh, monthly basis, but more frequently as the, the large challenges arise. Um, I'm also a big advocate of getting involved in things that you're passionate with. Um, and for me, like I, I'm, I'm, I like to get quite involved in new acquisitions and partnering as well. So a lot of our projects, in fact, all of our projects are in some form a partnership. Um, I mentioned before with the City Tassels Club in Sydney, that's a partnership with a long venture there. Um, in Adelaide, I didn't get to speak about that before, but we're doing a PPP with the um, City of Adelaide there. Um, and that's a redevelopment of a landmark project, um, Central Market Arcade. 
and, and doing it with them and with uh, Nanshan, which is a, a large um, uh, Chinese group um, based with aluminum manufacturing, but also has a really strategic sister type relationship. You mentioned the words or the, the sort of phrase PBP. What does that stand for, for people who don't know what that is? Yeah, public-private partnership. So really working with government and um, to, to develop critical community infrastructure, uh, but with a sort of a private aspect to it. Before delving into his property journey, Ku shares a bit about his upbringing. Uh, born and bred in Melbourne. Uh, so haven't moved too far from from that. Uh, and uh, look, I've definitely um, toyed with the idea of going overseas and, and uh, working there and um, travelled a fair bit overseas. But, you know, there's a good reason why we, as a, a number of our cities, often get in the top 10 of most livable and um, most recognised cities. So, um, yeah, that's, that's mine. Uh, I'll... Went to school here as well. Uh, went to a local school, Scots College, um, for high school, and then uh, studied at Melbourne University. So, really haven't ventured too far. He reflects on his time at Melbourne University and talks about his field of study. Yeah, I studied a Bachelor of Property and Construction, um, which they they don't have the bachelor system now. They've moved to a um, an undergrad system, so um, a bit older. <laughs> bachelor of Property and Construction and Commerce, and then later on, I, I came back to study my Master of Applied Finance. He goes on to share whether he gained first-hand experience before returning to university to complete his Master's. As part of the um, property and construction course, a requirement was actually to get industry experience before you graduated. Uh, and that was really, really, um, uh, um, uh, really insightful. Gave me a lot of understanding um, about the practical elements of my course while studying it. Um, so I actually worked at Jones Lang LaSalle um, in the research and consulting um, division that, that really helped to understand uh, the sort of macro elements that impact the property industry. Um, all of understanding, because all of our clients were investors and developers, um, what they really cared about. Ku explains the job description he fell under for this kind of position and how he was hired. It was a kind of a mix. Uh, I was very fortunate to get a, um, a full-time role there. So I got a lot of experience and then kind of moved my final two years of, um, of uh, my studies into part-time. Um, and yeah, so I found that to be really valuable. Um, and so, yeah, they treated me as a, as a full-time, I guess, in the first year as a, as a graduate, essentially. And how long were you there for? I think it was about three years in total. He delves into the kind of experience he gained from working in a large development company. It was a phenomenal base um, to, to start with um, because it, it wasn't a specific um, transactional role in that, you know, if, you, if you're doing leasing and property management or something, you learn a lot about that particular part of the property. Um, but working in research and in particular the consulting part, um, you have specific or tailored investment and development um, questions that want to be answered. Um, and they stem from everything around the, um, you know, the, the, the macro and microeconomics of property, uh, the fundamentals that drive um, 
you know, property investment development decisions, um, all the way through to like actually doing feasibilities and understanding, you know, like, um, you know, what values are and, and, and how to make decisions from that. So it really gave me a great um, appreciation and understanding of the real world decisions in property investment and development. He looks back on the kind of projects he worked on during this period of time. One that was really interesting, it didn't actually end up going ahead um, because GFC, uh, that, was, that was the time um, uh, when I was working there. And um, it was actually a Dubai group that um, was exploring what now is um, Melbourne Quarter, that uh, there's a, a large development, sort of sits on the edge of Melbourne CBD and Docklands. <clears throat> and they had this grand vision of essentially doing a tallest tower in, in, in Melbourne and comprising of all luxury sectors of residential and retail and commercial and, um, and hotel. Um, and being able, be able to then um, explore the study of luxury residential. And back then, there wasn't much apartment development, even in the CBD, um, to consider. So when you're... When you're doing a study, you generally try to benchmark um, other examples. That's your sort of way of knowing is it feasible. It's like a, a value would, would look at other properties to see does this stack up to what value. Um, and it was it was really interesting because I there wasn't much around in Melbourne, so you kind of have to look globally um, and and look at what best practice is and and take a view then of how Melbourne could evolve. Um, and, you know, 10 years down the track with, you know, Sydney and Melbourne, you're seeing a lot of um, residential development in the CBD. Um, you know, more and more you, uh, the apartments are becoming bigger and, and you're seeing people accept luxury living and family living in, in the, the CBD as amenity. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's really interesting to see how, you know, that practice has evolved. Coming up after a break, we hear what Matt Koo did after his time with JLL. I actually was made redundant. Um, that was how I left. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, another thing that I reflect on is um, the, the positives. The reason I mentioned is it's a very uncertain time for a lot of people right now. Um, people are, are losing their jobs, um, and it's it's really challenging. I think it's important to know that you know there are positives. How he was able to jump into a large development of 350 units. So that particular project, um, uh, the the family that I, I work for, the my family, they do have a, a substantial amount of, of wealth. Uh, I don't think. Uh, Myself, um, you know, personally, well, to do a, a large project like that is very capital intensive, and you do have to put a lot of that um, up front. And so, you know, we did have that backing behind us. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of um, milestones along the way um, that needed to be achieved. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. reflects on what inspired him to jump into property development and construction studies. 
To be honest, uh, I can't say that my parents had any influence in in, in, in my um, endeavors in the property, and, and my endeavors in the property were probably even a little haphazard. And and um, uh, I'll, I'll explain all that. So my my, my parents, um, uh, my dad uh, has always been investing in shares, um, not so much on the, on the property space. They they the only property they've ever owned is is their house. Um, and so I never really was exposed too much to property investment um, from an early age. And um, funnily enough, like in high school, I actually, um, I always wanted to be studying medicine and become a doctor. Um, and uh, I, you know, I got to year 12, didn't get the grades um, to, to get into medicine. And so I didn't really have a backup option, to be honest. I kind of was like, oh, that's what I've always wanted to do. And, and now I, I don't know what to do. Um, and and so I kind of went at it quite logically and um, thought, well, I've got decent grades and I could probably do a double degree. And commerce and business sounds like, you know, the obvious choice. And what should I marry that with? Because, you know, I don't want to waste my grades. I should probably do a double degree. <laughs> um, that's, that's, probably, that's from my parents. That's a very Asian mentality. Um, and and so, like, I, I, I thought, like, look, I looked at all the options available to me um, and came to property and construction and, went, and I was like, well, I get that. It's tangible. It makes sense. I can see, like, how I've utilised it. And um, I, I think probably the thing that, you know, sold it for me was um, I was looking at the, the Forbes 100 uh uh, so the BRW uh, 100 rich list and, and realised 75% of those people made their money through property. I thought, well, can't go too wrong if that, you know. <laughs> and so um, I'm not saying that's the way you should pick your uh, you know, your, your future careers and, and university courses. Definitely don't advocate. I'm not an advocate, advocate for that. But um, I, I think, you know, as haphazard as it was, uh, when I got to uni, I realised I actually was really interested and really passionate about property. And I think that's how you should probably choose your university courses. Do something that you're, you're passionate about. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, I think what I really love about property um, and what, what sold it for me was that tangible tangibility of it. Um, I think what I always wanted to do as a being a, to be a doctor was that, you know, you're helping people. You can see the outcomes of it. Um, and for property, it's the same. Like, turn something from something to make it better um and better like you know obviously my mindset but then was about making money but actually you know better is about how you influencing how you impacting the community and those around he reflects on how his life would have been different if he had studied medicine and became a doctor it's funny because um outside of my work at icd i, I do some personal developments um but uh, you know, developments are quite capital intensive. So I actually do those with a couple um, uh, friends from university and, and from high school. Both of them are dentists. So <laughs> um, I, I guess you, you don't necessarily need to study property or even be working in the field to get into it. Um, you know, what, what is very handy is um, as a, a in the medical field, so for those who are practitioners, um, you know, they can... They're very favourable terms with the um, with financiers. You can borrow up to nine percent. 
um, that's very handy, you know, and having good cash flow um, is important. Ku goes on to share where he went to after his time at JLL. I actually was made redundant. Um, that was how I left. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, another thing that I reflect on is um, the, the positives. The reason I mention is it's a very uncertain time for a lot of people right now. Um, people are, are losing their jobs um, and it's, it's really challenging. I think it's important to know that you know, there are positives. You've got to have a positive mindset to approach every challenge. Um, and you know, it, it, the redundancy gave me an opportunity to um, reflect on the, where I was at that time. Um, what I really wanted to um, gain greater knowledge in was actually finance. Um, I felt um, I had a lot of understanding about macroeconomics and, and um, how to look at the fundamentals of property and, and how they influence um, specific assets and development. But actually going through um, a, a development needed a greater understanding of finance. Um, and so, yeah, I went back and, and studied and I was fortunate enough to get a job with a bank as well um, at the time. Um, and navigated my way and eventually got into the property um, development and, uh, and investment lending space um, within the bank. He explains how long this journey was before he started working for ICD Property. Um, I think in total about probably six to seven years uh, all up and then, um, and then I, 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 um, how I actually got into ICD was, so ICD Property has been set up by um, an old school friend of mine and his family, um, the, the my family, um, and you know we would catch up when I was working at um, at A and Z um, in their in their property um, division there, and um, he wanted to understand how to navigate and approach uh, finances for uh, their for ICD's first development project in Collingwood. And so, and I wanted to understand more from him, like how they would go about purchasing sites and developing them. So we had a, you know, a, a win-win um, relationship, mutual relationship there, and um, beneficial relationship. And and um, one day he called me up and uh, asked me about a particular site in Melbourne CBD and how, you know, how he would go and approach it from a financier's perspective. And so I sort of explained it and, and um, Michael then said, look, like I actually want you to uh, come over and, and develop this for me. Um, and that's where, you know, um, that's, you know, that was my opportunity. But at the same time, um, I'd never actively managed a development before. So I was um, in my own sort of words. I said no to, to Michael in different different language. <laughs> um, well, more because I was like, look, I'm, look, I really care about you. I care about your company. I'm not, I don't want to come and, and make a mess of it. Um, but uh, and this is this is uh, you know something that Michael um, has instilled in me is like you know you got to have a lot of faith in people and their capabilities and um, and if you do that, like it's self fulfilling in, in a sense. Um, 
And so he had a lot of trust, a lot of faith in me. He said, look, um, I think, you know, what you know as a, in your experience as a, a consultant to developers and investors and, and as a, a financier as well, um, taking all that skill and knowledge, you can apply it to development management. Um, and he was really right. Like that, that um, having that sort of rigid, not rigid framework, a framework, a structure to approach things, um, uh, it was surprising that you know, that was really, really efficient and useful way of developing um, or managing a project. And um, yeah, so that, that project um, ended up being an ex- extremely successful one for us. Um, it was EQ Tower project in Melbourne CBD, uh, 633 apartments, so $350 million project, um, and it won multiple awards. Uh, we, we managed to secure um, a, an institutional joint venture partner out of China. It was their first international project. Um, so, yeah, like from, from many angles, it was a huge success both uh, for the company and for, for myself personally. As a successful managing director was dealing with a hefty amount of money for this development project, he goes on to talk about the extensive process of putting the deal together. So that particular project, um, uh, the, the family that I, I work for, the My Family, they do have a substantial amount of, of wealth. Uh, I don't think uh, myself, um, you know, personally able to do a, a large project like that. It is very capital intensive and you do have to put a lot of that um, up front. And so, you know, we did have that backing behind us. Um, but... Uh, you know, there was a lot of um, milestones along the way um, that needed to be achieved. Uh, one thing that uh, you know, was important for us was uh, the terms in which we secured the project, uh, the site. Uh, so we had an 18-month settlement terms. Uh, that enabled us to, you know, secure our DA uh, in that time frame. Uh, and in Melbourne at that time, um, we were able to secure that in five months. So that was a, a really quick process and, 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 and um, uh, really helped uh, achieve all the other outcomes. So we're able to secure a builder, um, finance from um, a local bank as well uh, for all the debt and, and our joint venture partner, as well as sell out all the apartments before we even started construction. So the day we settled, we pretty much started construction. Um, so 18 months. He talks more about the joint venture partner with a Chinese company and how much they invested in the project. Yeah, I guess breaking it down to the, the capital stack, um, uh, you know, you, you have your equity component, which um, ICD and this joint venture partner contributed. Um, and, you know, thinking about it, that was you know, roughly 30% of the total build cost. And then the financier, the, the bank, um, uh, the senior lender in that instance provided the, the remaining 70 percent um, but the, the 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 split was a rough roughly a 50 between us and the joint venture partner is that where your expertise working in the finance industry was able to help you contribute towards putting this deal together definitely from a, i guess uh, from structuring the deal with a joint venture partner as well as knowing um, how to approach the bank um, to, to make sure we had all the information right and the project at the right stage 
um, to achieve the finance because it wasn't obviously it was a, a very you know large amount of debt. Um, certain things like ensuring that all of our pre-sales, or firstly our design was correct. Um, banks don't usually support below 40 or 50 square meter apartments, so making sure that apartments were um, structured that way with good natural light and all the other things that are important from a financier's perspective. Um, making sure that you know the, the sales rates were um, you know uh, within market range. Um, making sure that we um, had also got a good mix between local and overseas buyers as well. Um, that we you know um, contracted with a tier one builder, uh, and, and that we as ourselves and our joint venture partner were considered a strong sponsor. Um, so. You know, all those all those things are key to what a financier is um, going to look at. You know, sponsor, builder, the end sales, um, the structuring and all like that. And I think that's where I, I, I was able to bring that skill set from being a, on the financier's side to know exactly what they would consider important. Kush shares where he mainly learned these finance skills that he has developed over time. Theoretically, you do learn bits and pieces of it um, at, at university. Um, I, practice makes you know um, perfect, and I think uh, I definitely learned a, like a 95 percent of it through work experience, um, both uh, in terms of the feasibilities and expectations on returns um, from when I was at JLL, but in terms of the more detailed understanding of um, how to assess a good uh, project, um, how to de-risk it and all that was through through finance and through working at ANZ. Inspired by Matt Koo's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll hear about the first property he purchased. The first property was the apartment which my wife and I purchased when we got married. The thinking about it was we want something that uh, with all the amenities around it that we, we would use and also one that we could possibly see as, a, as an investment long term once we move out into our sort of family home. The worst investing moment he has experienced with development. A big risk for a lot of smaller developments, there's actually a risk for any development, is around the builder. We've actually had a builder fall over on one of our projects and we're still completing that project now, <laughs> probably a year after we would like to have completed it. That has you know, a real material impact on your outcomes. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.